0: This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Aquarium Mania on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host Dr. Roy Anon, speaking to you from the University of Florida's Tropical Aquaculture Laboratory. Thanks for joining us. Where can aquarium fish hobbyists go for general information and help? Hobbyist organizations are an excellent source of knowledge in all aspects of the hobby and can provide great tips on fish, systems, supplies, and even local stores. There are local aquarium societies in many cities in the United States that cater to both freshwater and marine enthusiasts. There are also national hobbyist organizations that are even more specialized. These groups can help you get to the next level, as my guest Bill Shields will tell you. Bill Shield started keeping fish at the ripe old age of six. Sometime after college, Bill finally started working officially in the aquarium industry, becoming general manager of three doctor pet centers in the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania area. He joined the Susquehanna Aquarium Society in 1974 and was formally introduced to the organized portion of the hobby. He became very active in all facets of the society and later joined other hobbyist organizations. During a hiatus from the aquarium world while Bill worked with elephants, he actually formed, with a group of eight, the Tampa Bay Aquarium Society in 1992. In 1995, Bill was hired as a breeder for 5D Tropical Incorporated, an aquarium fish production and import-export facility in Plant City, Florida. Join us as we discuss aquarium fish hobbyist's do's and don'ts and learn how to avoid common hobbyist mistakes. We'll be right back after these messages with Bill Shields. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Aquarium Mania on PetLifeRadio.com with Dr. Roy Anong, and I'm speaking with Bill Shields, who is the head breeder at 5D Tropical Incorporated in Plant City, Florida. Hi, Bill. Hey, Roy. How you doing? Good. Good. Thanks for uh, taking some time out to talk with us today. Oh, no problem. Well, in Florida. Yeah, exactly. A kind of a rainy, a rainy, uh, cool day in Florida. Well, you have been involved in all aspects of the hobby. Uh, ever since, I guess, you were six years old. And so you've got a really good kind of feel for many of the things that hobbyists are going through when they first get into it. And and because of all the work you've done both professionally as well as throughout your life, you've got a good handle as well on many of the advanced levels of of the hobby as well. And so uh, getting back to kind of the early days, what what was your very first fish?
1: My first fish was uh, guppies in a drum bowl with some snails, and they both equally fascinated me because they both produced quantities of young. And I guess that was the trigger to uh, set the wheels in motion for wanting to breed fish.
0: And now you, you said you, were, you lived in South Florida, I guess. Is that correct, yeah, when you were uh, growing up? I
1: was, uh, I was transporal. Of course, I'm a transplant, as many of the people in Florida are from uh, Buffalo, New York, at uh, about age seven. And I grew up in the Fort Lauderdale, Pompano Beach area.
0: Okay, and then you went up to Pennsylvania for
1: Pennsylvania.
0: for school or job or?
1: Well, actually, my father uh, took a a job in the uh, he was in the hotel restaurant industry, and he got a very lucrative job offer up there. So they extracted me out of a place I did not want to leave to a, a, a the cold country. And so yes, and I. Uh, Finished uh, my high school education and college education in Pennsylvania, and then at graduation of college, had promptly moved back to Florida.
0: Now I, I know you ended up working for, uh, as I think you mentioned, Doctor Pet Centers in in Pennsylvania. So you came down to Florida, and then you went back up. Is that is that right?
1: Yes, yes. At the uh, time, I, the lady I was married to uh, got uh, homesick, and we had to relocate.
0: Okay now over over the years, how many aquariums and tanks would you say that you 've probably had, or, or maybe at your at your high point, how many tanks have you had? Maybe this is your high point now
1: at my high point I, uh, when I was involved in the in the retail end of the business and I was in the stores probably twelve hours a day, I had uh, sixty five tanks going at home so my, at home. This was my relaxation after <laughs> putting in a day of, of dealing with the uh, the retail pet trade.
0: And so I, I know it's kind of interesting uh, that, that you ended up doing elephants in between. How, how did you get from working in retail, uh, the retail aquarium portion of the industry, to working with elephants?
1: Well, the, uh, as life progresses and relationships go, we moved back to Florida and the job market was, as it is now, very poor. And I went out to a facility which is now closed Circus World on uh, I-4 and Highway 27 to apply for a, a vet tech position. Unfortunately, I didn't get that position, but they said, oh, we have a new uh, head elephant guy. He might need help. So I went down and talked to him. And,
0: and you got the job. Me,
1: and I got the job. Yeah, as he told me later, he says, I thought you are a little strange because you're the only one ever to come in a coat and tie to apply for this position. <laughs> and as it, as it was, I... Uh, Got into it just as they're getting into a breeding program, and uh, with my biology background, I happen to know a little more than some of the people around. So I rose to being a midwife for 37 baby elephants.
0: That's that's quite a uh, quite a change from fish. So a change from
1: fish. However, so you th- I still had I still had fish tanks at the house. <laughs> no, not as many as uh, I had in the in the in the height of the uh, obsession, but uh, I always maintained fish.
0: And after while you were working with the uh, with the elephants, you started a group in Tampa. Is that correct?
1: Well, yeah. Being, uh, we'll go back a little in, in time, if you will. Uh, when I was in Pennsylvania in the uh, in the stores, my customers uh, approached me and said, "Hey, we have an aquarium society, which was a, a new concept to me." And they said, "Why don't you come to a meeting?" Well, I did, and I liked it. And it was the uh, Susquehanna Aquarium Society. And uh, I became very active in that. And uh, after a while, uh, because of my involvement, I got, of course, elected to uh, vice president and then president and served on the board of directors while I was in Pennsylvania. And uh, that's how I got acquainted with the, uh, the uh, society uh, group part of the, the hobby. And then when we moved uh, to uh, Florida and I got over to Tampa. I was working. Uh, our herd elephants moved to the Bush Gardens, and uh, we got established. And I started looking around. I said, "There's no hobby group." I said, "What the heck is this? This is just uh, totally alien from the way the the hobby is uh, conducted in the uh, in the north." I said, "There's, there's got to be a group." So there used to be a group, but it it expired. It uh, had problems, I guess, and and uh, dissipated. And uh, as a hobbyist. Uh, you become uh, one of the things you do is you visit fish stores. This is part of the uh, the ritual of of fish hobbyists as you get more into the uh, into the hobby aspect of it. You have to go to all the stores to see what they have, what's new, what's available. And uh, when you're doing this, you bump into people and people of like mind. You keep bumping into, and after a while, uh, we said, hey, we need to get together and do this as a, as a group, and uh, with the help of uh, Fish World, Rick Gibson at the time, who offered us his store after hours to meet. There was, uh, I believe, nine of us started meeting there and uh, formulated the Tampa Bay Aquarium Society. And since then, it's grown, and uh, I believe we're at uh, 100-plus membership now, and we've been going for uh, almost 20
0: years. Wow. So... Now, uh, before we talk a little bit more about the Aquarium Society, I guess maybe just to kind of round everything up in terms of, of yourself, you are working now at 5D Tropical, and you're, uh, I know, obviously, one of, the, uh, one of the esteemed breeders there. So what, what are your kind of duties there now versus uh, in, in retail?
1: Well, and, uh, now I, I just, uh, my vocation has turned into my advocation. I'm getting paid to do what I used to pay to do, which is kind of a dream job. And uh, my duties here, I breed the uh, barbs, tetras, grammies, danios. And now we're, into the, uh, we're in conjunction with uh, Yorktown Technologies. We do the uh, transgenic danios, the glowfish, which are quite popular and doing quite well. And uh, they've located a, their research and development facility here, so I work uh, in conjunction with them as we move on into the future with this.
0: That's great. So definitely a dream come true job for you. It sounds like
1: dream come true. So get paid to do what you used to pay to do. How, how can that be bad?
0: Exactly. So now I guess going back to the Tampa Bay Aquarium Society, uh, I, you know, I actually was was lucky enough to meet up with you folks when I first moved down, and, and I think the very first year joined with you, and definitely um, a lot a lot learned through that society. Can you? Uh, I guess maybe. Tell us a little bit about what some of these societies, including the Tampa Bay Aquarium Society, can do for, for members.
1: Well, it, it puts you in contact with like-minded people at all levels of the expertise and involvement in the hobby. So you have a, a ready network of information there. In the Tampa Bay Aquarium Society, we meet once a month, Second Monday of the month at the uh, Florida Aquarium uh, from seven till ten p.m. and that's a uh, Monday night, second Monday. And uh, the information in this hobby, I've found you're always learning something. I've been in, I've been doing this for fifty plus years, and I'm constantly learning something new, a better way to do something, a, a whole new way to do something, and it's just uh, Very fascinating and very rewarding. The people we have in the club are from brand new people who some of them don't even have a tank when they come. They're just thinking about it, trying to get their foot wet, their toe wet, see if they like it or not, to people that do it and they sell fish on on the Internet. Some of them are uh, farmers, small farmers that come. It's a very uh, diverse group of people with uh, just a very wide knowledge base. And they're all very freely sharing
0: this with whoever. Yeah, it's definitely a great mix of folks and, and uh, a lot of really fun and, and interesting personalities in that group. So now going back to the, the uh, folks that maybe don't even have a tank, what, what would you say are maybe some of the most common mistakes or misconceptions that some of the, the new hobbyists have? What would be some of the things that you think uh, the, the, the folks pit should pitfalls, know about?
1: The pitfalls.
0: The pitfalls.
1: Yeah, the overs and unders. okay (laughs) Uh, the biggest mistake people make in my opinion is overfeeding okay the fish are uh, they become conditioned when you walk near the tank they come up and they beg I mean depending on the fish you get in your cichlids and they'll come and I mean they eyeball you they have personal contact with you and they're begging for food so you feel compelled to feed them well they can't eat everything's put in so it fouls the water and you have bad water quality, and bad water quality leads to bad things.
0: So, so what do you tell those folks? You know, especially the the new folks that are, you know, trying to figure out how much to feed, or or maybe if they have this sort of draw. With, to the, t- with, with,
1: with the hobby, uh, in general, is observation. it's observation. It's an observational hobby. You sit there and you watch. You put food in. If there's food left after uh, five minutes and it's settling on the bottom of the tank, you've overfed. You can, and I think they get confused with a number of times feeding and the amount fed. You can feed fish as many times as you want
0: in
1: amounts. And we to down the water, and you have bad water quality, and bad water quality leads to uh, diseases and all kinds of things. And the uh, second thing I think is it might even be tied with uh, overfeeding is overstocking. A new hobbyist gets in and they're fascinated by everything. They want sure. everything they see. And they keep buying that one more fish. And pretty soon they exceed the capacity of the tank. And then you compound problems again.
0: So in terms of overstocking or getting getting too many fish, what's kind of a, is there a kind of good rule of thumb or, or what, what sort of suggestions would you make well, for over, these folks? Over
1: the years I've heard all kinds of things, but the, uh, Sometimes people buy fish that uh, are small when they buy them, but they grow to big sizes. And uh, overstocking can be uh, compensated by doing water changes. If you do water changes on a regular basis, you can stock your tanks a little heavier than normal. I'd say, uh, I don't even know anymore, maybe uh, 10 small fish in a 10 gallon tank is, is more than enough, depending on filtration and the amount of water changes you do.
0: Now, do you tell folks or do you guys talk with them uh, about water quality? And the, uh, Part of the uh,
1: benefit of law to the, the society or any group that uh, that meets and discusses things, we're a, pretty, we're a big organization, so we have speakers come in. We have uh, in-house speakers. We have expert people in the water quality. we have uh, been lucky enough. Joe Gargis moved back into the area, and he's at is in water quality. And uh, he's talked to us several times about the water of our local waters and uh, to do to uh, make corrections for the inaccuracies of them, the chemicals of and it's uh, enlightening. The enlightening. Uh, also, the lion speakers, there's the expert speakers uh, around the country that are experts in uh, whatever field, whether it be tetras like, uh, like uh, Randy Carey or perhaps uh, like Jeff Cardwell, or uh, we've had Dr. Paul Lysell come down. We have uh, locally Don Conkle, a Central American cichlid expert and farmer. Uh, so there's a whole range of uh, information available to the people that come. And then we also have uh, what we call uh, study groups where we just meet in uh, usually two groups, and have two different topics, maybe breeding fish, maintaining fish, filters, uh, live foods, so there's uh, just a variety of information that can be uh, plucked from a meeting with the group.
0: Okay, so I guess going back to some of these really common mistakes, what would be uh, a- another one that
1: oh, another one? you see a lot? Uh, we can uh, over-lighten. People uh, put a light on the fish tank and either forget to turn it off, or the simple solution would be putting it on a timer. If you're growing algae in the tank, you've got the light on too much. You need to reduce the amount of light. And that fouls the uh, visibility of the tank and can also lead to the tank fouling. Another one's over-treating. Once we run into problems from doing some of the aforementioned uh, things, people think they have to treat something. So they start putting chemicals into the water. A lot of times you can correct a condition just by doing a simple water change, and that will clear up a lot of the problems uh, that you're having. Uh, The most successful thing we can treat for in a tank when you have parasites. If you have external parasites, they're fairly simple to treat for. But when they're treating for uh, bacterial or viral things, it's kind of guesswork, and they're just going to their store and buying some antibiotic or chemical and putting it in the water and hoping. So a lot of times it's better to uh, separate the fish out and uh, treat them separately. Okay. Which would lead well, to uh, another point I'd like to make. That's a very common mistake. They don't have a quarantine tank. You should always have a quarantine tank for your new fish. If you bring a new fish in from a store, quarantine him for a week. See if he's going to develop a problem so you don't introduce anything into your main tank. And A quarantine tank is basically a filtered, empty tank that uh, you can observe the fish and keep it and treat it if need be. Without affecting your, your main display
0: tank or tank. Okay. You know, I want to talk to you a little bit more about some of these real common mistakes that hobbyists make, but we'll have to take a short break and listen to some messages from our sponsors.
1: Hi, I'm Dana Humphrey, the founder of Whitegate PR. We have been specializing in PR and marketing in the pet industry for over 10 years.
0: Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Aquarium Mania on Pet Life Radio. We're continuing our conversation with my guest, Bill Shields. Of Five D Tropical Incorporated, talking about some of the common mistakes that hobbyists make. So, Bill, we talked a, we talked a little bit about overfeeding, overstocking, overlighting. What are some of the other overs and uh, other mistakes that you see real commonly with new hobbyists?
1: Well, one that's uh, seen. I was in this before the invention of the internet. Uh, another one, I I'm just listening to the people that come to the club, the newbies is over-believing in the information they obtain on the Internet. It's very easy to post or uh, put anything on the Internet. Uh, you really need to uh, verify the stuff with the uh, uh, live next to a person that's uh, that been in the hobby or is experienced before you just take at face value what they post.
0: Can you uh, give us an example? I'm kind of curious. The most uh, recent one in mind is uh, somebody sent me
1: a link to a, uh, somebody that did a YouTube uh, video on decapsulation of brine shrimp. It was kind of scary because you're working with uh, with a strong bleach solution, and uh, there's, there's several precautions that weren't mentioned or done, and they kind of uh, glossed it over and made it look like it was a, a five-minute operation, and uh, it really isn't.
0: And I guess for uh, maybe the folks that aren't familiar with that, can you explain to everybody what oh, decapsulation of brine shrimp uh, is and what decapsulation
1: yeah. of brine shrimp? Sorry, Roy. This the uh, sure the uh, the brine shrimps uh, are saltwater equivalent, I guess, of a uh, freshwater daphne. When conditions are good, they have live babies <clears throat> and produce mass amounts of uh, offspring. And then, as conditions of the water, temperature, lighting. Uh, water parameters, food availability change. They start laying cysts or eggs, and these uh, can overwinter and uh, survive dehydration. And because of this fact, they're collected and put in uh, in uh, vacuum pack cans, and uh, we can hatch them on demand to feed our baby fish. One of the drawbacks of uh, hatching the raw cyst in uh, is they have a shell. The the, the uh, Shell of the of the uh, shrimp comes off into water, and you have all this debris. And some baby fish, like Corydoras catfish babies, for example, are real bright, and they'll ingest these hard shells and become impacted and die. <clears throat> so, to avoid these uh, problems and to make it a, a better product, you decapsulate. And brine shrimp cysts are so hardy, which is kind of hard to imagine. You can put a bleach solution and professionally we use the sodium hydroxide to increase the uh, pH of the solution. Very harsh chemicals on these things, and it dissolves the, uh, the cyst, and then you have an egg that is debris-free, and it hatches in a shorter period, and even if it doesn't hatch, it's uh, available as uh, good food for your, your fry. And okay. It, it, and that's kind of the industry standard for... Commercial operations.
0: On the internet site or or link, basically, they were not being real careful, and because you are using bleach. Well,
1: the, the one, uh, the University of Ghent is the leader in archaemia research, and their recommendations for decapsulation is you hydrate the cyst in fresh water for an hour and a half to two hours uh, with a vigorous agitation. So you put the airstream in there and hydrate them because the cyst looked like a, a sunken in ping pong ball. Uh, when you start with them, and you want them to be plump and look like a good ping-pong ball when you do the decapsulation so you have maximum surface contact with the chemicals. The guy in the video, I believe, says five minutes is plenty. Well, I'm I'm sure you do get some, but you don't get the most efficient. I have to go with the the people that are experts in the field, and uh, it was kind of just passed over as this is the way you do it.
0: Well, that's definitely, uh, as you know, a real good point, and I think a lot of folks... Uh, are maybe not quite as cautious as they should be with Internet information. And obviously a lot of real good information on the Internet, but as you mentioned, some things that maybe if you're not familiar with, you may not understand or realize some of the uh, the nuances with some of the information. So uh, what other common problems are, do you see well, well, regularly? We've,
1: we've done some overs. Let's do some unders. All right. One of, the, one of the biggest unders is undersizing. As people want to get into the aquarium hobby, they really should get the largest tank they can afford. I'm not talking about the, the, with all the bells and whistles, just the basic setup with the, the, the top, a light, and a filter. And if you get a bigger tank, you avoid a lot of the pitfalls of the overstocking. It can take some abuse for, from overfeeding. And then the tank's available for your fish to grow in. So if you start off with a 10 gallon tank, or now it, uh, I kind of shudder when I see the these little smaller nano tanks. The nano tanks might look good for a desk, but it's really for a more advanced person that can monitor the condition of the fish and the the water parameters. A bigger tank is more forgiving. I don't I don't know if I mentioned when you asked about uh, how many tanks I maintained right now because I'm in the business. My number of tanks at the house is probably down to about fifteen, but I've also converted my swimming pool over to a a koi native fish pond. <laughs> so oh, i with, with twenty thousand gallons of water, it's very forgiving. So you can uh, n- not do as frequent water changes, and I can overfeed because the koi beg and I'm a sucker, so I feed them. But...
0: So under undersizing, what other what other unders?
1: Unders under filtering, yeah. Buying the most inexpensive filter, you don't want to buy the the biggest one that's going to blast the fish out of the water, but you want to buy one that might be a little overrated for the tank capacity so you get maximum filtration, you get maximum uh, turns of the water through the filter in an hour, which is how they rate them, gallons per hour, because you want to have uh, good filtration, good filtration, mechanical and biological filtration uh, also keeps the tank in pristine condition and your fish in good health.
0: That's right, and uh, obviously with the water, definitely having a good water quality test kit and doing all that stuff is, is important as well. What, what, other, uh, what other unders? You mentioned undersizing. The under, another under yeah.
1: dealing with your uh, water quality is underdoing water changes. Uh, some people feel if they top off the water from evaporation, that's doing a water change. You're not. You're just concentrating the bad stuff that's in the water. What you need to do is to physically remove, uh, ideally, I guess 20%, Uh, Every two weeks would be about minimum, and replace it with good, good uh, fresh water that's been uh, conditioned. So Uh, when you ideally, some of these people, the uh, the people that are raising fry and discus people, they'll do a ninety five percent water change once a day to keep the water at maximum quality.
0: Now, uh, speaking about water, I think uh, I think I recall maybe one of the folks as well in the society that had um, kind of taken the clean water. Idea to the extreme, and was using distilled water. I don't know if you remember that that scenario that happened a while a while back. And and uh, you know, obviously, uh, as you know, using distilled water in a tank is probably not a good idea for the fish. So, no, what other-
1: uh, is it, uh, some of the fish uh, need special water requirements, but uh, pure distilled water probably isn't the uh, the best idea. You need to, it, the best is uh, would be a mix of. Uh, Distilled or RO water with your regular uh, city water. Here in Tampa, <laughs> we're we're most of the fish that are available uh, can take the uh, the city water with the uh, chloramines removed with no problem. Just uh, to maintain them and enjoy them as a as a community tank fish. Now, if you get into the breeding aspect of it, you might have to alter the water parameters by adding your distilled or RO water.
0: And that's a good point you mentioned here in, here in Tampa. And, and I, of course, depending on where the water is coming from, it's a good idea for folks to maybe be familiar with what type of water the fish they want to keep need and then actually know what type of water that they have, um, you know, either coming out of their well or their tap if they're using city water, et cetera. So um, that's a that's a good point. Any other unders? Well, I
1: do have a, another under, but I, I'll kind of segue into a plug for the club. If you go to sure. uh, tbas1.com, you'll find the uh, website of the Tampa Bay Aquarium Society, which I think is one of the best in the country. And located on these on this site is a uh, in the links is the TBAS forum, and if you go to the forum, you'll find a wealth of information on water quality because our water quality expert, Joe Gargas has analyzed and done the uh, research on the local water, St. Pete, uh, Clearwater, uh, Tampa, and uh, not only has broken down what is in the water but has given uh, directions on how to change the water to meet specific needs of, say, African cichlids, which need a harder, more alkaline water, or your uh, soft water South American uh, tetras, so there's uh, another wealth of information that's available from being involved with a, a hobby organization.
0: Okay, and yeah, we'll definitely include those links on the uh, on the website for the show. So that's a that's a great great uh, plug there that will be very helpful. So yeah, go ahead. You were you were going to talk. In under and com-
1: undering uh, one of the the biggies when I was coming up through, we didn't have the availability of the internet, so uh, because I was uh, a kid. I didn't have any money. The money I did spend on fish was uh, very precious to me, so I wanted to make sure I got the most bang for my buck, so I I did a lot of reading. I I read the magazines. I read the available uh, literature, and uh, I researched my uh, pending purchases to make sure that uh, what I was going to purchase would be suitable for where I was going to keep it and how I could keep it, and uh, I think that's uh, a lot of times... uh, comes under the impulse buying you see it buy it and now you're you have it and you don't really know what to do with it
0: so that would be like an un for uh, under, under, under under knowledge research. Yeah, under, research. under
1: research yeah. in your purchase
0: yeah that's not that's an excellent point and it's definitely probably a good kind of rule of thumb for any type of pet that anyone keeps knowing as much as Absolutely, you can yeah. about that the requirements and and uh you know when they get to full size and all the different aspects of maintaining and keeping them healthy is you know, very important. And you're right, definitely for all the different species of fish as well, being familiar with them. So how, how do you kind of help or give advice to folks that maybe have been doing some things right, but they're still having some, some issues and, and, uh, and maybe are getting a little discouraged? What, what, what kind of uh, general tips or guidelines do you give to these folks?
1: Uh, the best tip would be get involved with uh, with uh, your local aquarium society because in that society you will find somebody that is sharing your interest in whatever fish, whether it be cichlids or live bears or killifish or native fish. So somebody in there will also have those and maybe has more experience and can help you along the way.
0: For folks that aren't in Tampa <laughs> or the Tampa area, how do you locate an aquarium society in your region or in your, in your city?
1: Well, recently, the, uh, at the beginning of the meeting, we have a meet and greet for new people that come in and they introduce themselves and let everybody know what their interest is so the people during the breaks can get together with them and maybe help them out or see what's, uh, if they have any problems or any advice for them. Uh, it's a reciprocal thing. But uh, we ask, how did you find out about us? And they Google us. They Google okay. aquarium societies. They go to the Internet and uh, and run a search. And also uh, a lot of the aquarium societies around the country uh, advertise in the back of the uh, the trade magazines.
0: Now, does FAST, the federation of, isn't there a national organization, do they do they keep pretty accurate uh, records of all the aquarium societies, or is that maybe not quite as complete?
1: That's a very good question, which I don't have an answer for because okay. I, I really don't know what's happened to FAST since uh, in the uh, I was very active in the uh, I was founder of the Camp the Bay Aquarium Society and I stayed on the board of director I was vice president president for about 10 years and then I stepped back it's uh, it's often growing so I stepped back from uh, being actively involved on the board of directors so as far as the Federation of Aquarium Society we used to belong I don't know if the uh, Okay the still up to going or what? The,
0: okay. No. Yeah. I was just curious because I, I think i I remembered that a while back, but I, I get, yeah, I guess it is going to depend on whether the society is actually a member or not. So, so probably Googling for your city and aquarium society is a real, is a really good way to go. So now um, we've talked a little bit about some of the common mistakes and, and maybe some suggestions for trying to make uh, some corrections to some of those mistakes. I wanted to kind of close up by maybe having you talk a little bit about the fish shows that have been sponsored by the tampa bay aquarium society and the aquarium beautiful show now what what are kind of some of the ins and outs of those shows what you know what what are they for what are kind of the cool things about those shows i I think people may not be familiar with the idea of a fish show
1: well fish show we uh the the tampa bay aquarium society uh is on hiatus now from bench shows but you have a uh the uh, we have done them in the past, and you set up bear tanks. It's a uh, competition with depending on the categories of uh, fish it is set up by the by the show itself. Uh, some are species shows. You have the uh, nationally, you have the American uh, Cichlid Association has just cichlids being shown, and there'll be five, six hundred tanks of cichlids. Being showed individually, competing against themselves. So it's like a dog show only for fish. Uh, the American Killifish Association has an annual uh, fish show where there'll be uh, four or five hundred. Uh, pe- they're shown in pairs, pairs of killifish. Uh, the IBC, the International Betta Congress, has shows. Uh, the uh, International Guppy Association has shows. Those are species-specific shows. General aquarium societies usually have categories of all the fishes. Depending on the uh, the anticipated entries, how big the classes will be, we've held them at the uh, Florida State Fairgrounds, which is conveniently located to us. And uh, right now, the Aquarium Society is on hiatus for showing, uh, but we do an annual auction where fish are auctioned off. The fair, the state fair, does a uh, in their Family Living, which uh, building, which includes the, the baked goods, the uh, knitting, the photography, the paintings, that type of uh, craft stuff has a uh, area set aside for the competition of, dis- of uh, display tanks, aquarium beautiful tanks. There's uh, five, uh, five classes of, uh, of uh, tanks entered, salt water, fresh water with plants, fresh water without plants, novelty, which is anything, Uh, and it's pretty interesting, and uh, biotope, which is all plants, fish, and materials from a specific geographic region. And there's actual uh, cash prizes. It's the best premiums besides livestock at the fair, and it's open to anybody in the state of Florida. There's a a division for adults, a division for people that uh, drive a living from the tropical fish industry, and uh, there's a youth category from uh, 7 to seventeen. And it's very well received by the, uh, the attending uh, public. They, they really are fascinated that people can bring these tanks, and they're set up, and it runs uh, this year. Aquarium Beautiful runs uh, February 4th to the 16th. So those tanks are set up for uh, two weeks at the fairgrounds, and the people are just fascinated by them.
0: So that's, I guess if they're interested in that, they can maybe look to the TBAS website if there's anyone in Florida. Uh, I know that some of the prizes are are, are pretty decent uh, money-wise, so that that sounds like a a great opportunity. We're
1: we're talking for a uh, first-place best-of-show tank, I believe one tank can earn you $250. So it's kind of worth your time and effort to take it there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, we are definitely, unfortunately, out of time. Uh, I want to thank our guest, Bill, you, and uh, our producers, especially Mark Winter, for making the show possible. Bill, any final words for our our listeners? Uh,
1: Get involved. Get involved at the uh, group level, whether it be uh, your local group or if you're out somewhere where there's not a local group, the national group, there's uh, with the... uh, availability of the internet now you can become involved and they all have forums and there's information exchanged and uh, there's always something to learn you never know it all
0: great advice great advice thanks again bill and we will definitely have a number of the websites that you mentioned available on the website for this show i encourage all of you listening to visit my aquarium mania blog on pet life radio Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, email me at drroy, D-R-R-O-Y, at PetLifeRadio.com. If you're ever in Florida, please be sure to visit the Aquarium Mania exhibit at the Florida Aquarium in Tampa. So until next time, please visit your local aquarium stores, buy more fish, and keep your tanks and fish healthy and happy. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.